Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to October, the biggest month on the sports calendar. We've got pro football, college football, playoff baseball, the start of basketball, the start of hockey, WNBA playoffs. It's going to be a chaotic month. Bet Online Sportsbook has you covered. You can use our promo code BLEAVE, B-L-E-A-V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with the link in the description to this episode. Bet Online, where the game starts. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, or good night, however and whenever you may be listening, thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the Take It Easy podcast, live on an NFL Monday, except it isn't live because it is, as always, a podcast, and podcasts aren't live. It's the whole purpose of this podcasting thing. You can listen however and whenever you so choose. We appreciate that you have decided to stop in however and whenever it is that you may be choosing. Also, the nice thing about this NFL Monday podcast medium is that sometimes we can record however and whenever we may have the opportunity because on this fine NFL Monday week four and on this college football week five, which is why we call it NFL Monday four and a half, and since this is year four, this is NFL Monday 4.45, That's hence the title of the episode. Um, This NFL Monday, we have to record on Saturday because on Sunday, this guy right here is going to be part of his first NFL football game live from Santa Clara between the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. And because I live out here in Sacramento... I am going to be on a train for six hours to travel back and forth from Santa Clara to San to Sacramento to watch the Arizona Cardinals play the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday. And because I will be covering the game live from San Francisco, I will not have access to a podcasting microphone or access to be able to record with you guys on an NFL Monday. So here we are on Saturday getting you set for an NFL Monday in which we didn't watch any of the NFL football other than, of course, an in-depth analysis of Arizona Cardinals and San Francisco 49ers. So for one week, I apologize. I know we've done this for four years now. We're trying something new. We get to go cover a football game live on location. It's the first time I've ever been to the new San Francisco 49ers stadium, even though it's been there for like a decade now. Excited to try that out. So we got a fun show planned for you today regardless. Uh, Juju Talk Sports and I knocked out some episodes 
over the weekend talking about the New York Giants, who obviously play tonight against the Seattle Seahawks. So we'll talk about the New York Giants. We'll talk about the San Francisco 49ers a little bit on the show. And our friend Steezy A. Smith, who uh, he's he's been doing stuff with me and Juju for a while. He's from Seattle. He's going to talk about the Seahawks with us. So even though it's a Monday night football game, we're going to knock out Seahawks and Giants talk here on the show. And we'll talk a little bit about those 49ers, despite the fact that uh, I will not be here to recap the game that I watched between the San Francisco 49ers and the Arizona Cardinals until Wednesday when we're back here on the Take It Easy podcast. I'm sure we'll have breakdown of that and everything else. I'm uh, just going to throw some stuff at the wall and see what sticks here real quick from the NFL Monday. Uh, Dolphins-Bills, wow, game of the weekend. It was absolutely incredible. It was so much fun to watch the Dolphins and Bills, and I can't believe how in the fourth quarter the Dolphins did that thing that led to that final result of the game. It was absolutely incredible, right? Um, Broncos and Bears, a game that's so bad I normally say it's good, but in this circumstance... I don't really think it's, it's just so bad it's bad, right? The Broncos and Bears game was just so bad that it's bad. It wasn't even like something funny could happen. And uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume that Kirk Cousins purgatory is either going to be awarded to A, Kirk Cousins, or B, Andy Dalton. Because Andy Dalton and the Carolina Panthers are four and a half point underdogs against the Vikings, which means I suspect that the Panthers will be down four and a half points at the end of the game with one minute no timeouts, and needing to go the length of the field. So we'll see what ends up happening in that game. It'll all be very fun. It'll all be a great time, and uh, I wish I could give you some more in-depth analysis coming off of NFL Monday. But there is one NFL storyline that now is probably the best time to dig into, a topic that we've been saving in our repertoire for uh, about a week now. Uh, and that is the Green Bay Packers. I want to talk about the Green Bay Packers here on the show. I want to talk about Jordan Love because I made the joke coming into the season when we did a, a show with our friend Juju Talk Sports to get the season started. I made the same joke with Blake Jude last year when Aaron Rodgers was getting ready to be traded and it looked like the Packers were going to run it back with the same core of their team from last year but just replace Aaron Rodgers with Jordan Love. And even though we had never seen Jordan Love play, and even though a lot of what the Packers were looking like was speculation, the thing that I said coming into the season is the team I feel most confident about in giving this analysis is that the Green Bay Packers are going to be a 7-10 and football team this year. That was the team that I felt the most conviction that I knew was going to be in that middle of the NFL pack. That's the team that... And there was no pun intended there. But that was the team that I felt like was middle of the road. The The Packers were the definition of a 500 team. And according to SRS ranking early on in the season and according to expected win-loss record, the Packers are actually below average so far this season. Their expected win-loss record is 2.1 and 1.9. So they are sitting exactly where they should be. They coulda, shoulda, woulda beat the Atlanta Falcons. They lost that game. They probably should have lost to the New Orleans Saints. They had a 17-0 comeback in the fourth quarter and ended up winning that game. They got smoked out the building by the Detroit Lions. And the Packers are probably headed towards a 500 season. And this is the thing that for years we talked about on the show. And now that we're here, it, like 
Now that our relationship with football has evolved, we're now we've been covering it for uh, this is our fifth season covering football in some capacity. We now work in sports radio. We do the podcasting thing. Obviously, Walter Mitchell and the Cardinals podcast that we do has given me a chance to do like some film analysis and scouting analysis of a team and all sorts of stuff like that. And what's so interesting to me is that the Green Bay Packers have gone through this incredible evolution in just the four years that we've been covering the team. Because the first year that we covered sports was the year that Matt LeFleur first got to Green Bay. It was 2019. They went 13-3. and They went to the NFC Championship game. And I went out on a limb and said, I think the Green Bay Packers are going to beat the San Francisco 49ers. And then they lost that game by like 35 points, and Jimmy Garoppolo didn't throw a pass for two hours of real time. That's a real thing that happened. Jimmy Garoppolo did not throw a pass for two hours of real time. The Niners beat the Packers by like 28 points. And I said the Packers were going to win that game. And Aaron Rodgers, that whole season, had been game-managing his way through it. Uh, The games that he was asked to be a superhero were games that the Packers ended up not doing well. One of our earliest statistical analyses was on Aaron Rodgers' games where he was asked to throw fewer than 30 passes and games where he was asked to throw more than 30 passes. And when it was fewer than 30 passes, the Packers were like 8-2. and two. And in games that he was... or I'm sorry, the Packers were 8-0, and oh, I think it was. And then in games where he was asked to throw more than 30 passes, the Packers were like 5-3 and three or something like that. And so that was one of the first statistical analyses where it was like, yes, okay, they are better off with Aaron Rodgers being a game manager. And then Aaron Rodgers came out the next two years and just ran rough shot over the NFL, won two MVPs, even though the second one should have gone to Patrick Mahomes, he still won two MVPs, and the Packers... Both seasons, uh, well, actually, no, one season went to the NFC Championship game, and then the 2021 season, which was the best Packers team of the three, was that crazy snow game against the 49ers that was like, they lost, I think it was 13-10, to and the 49ers' only touchdown was on a blocked punt. Like, I remember coming out of that game and saying, oh, the Packers just got tough break on that because like when have you ever seen an NFL game where a team has a blocked field goal and a blocked punt for touchdown in the same game like the Packers just got brutally unlucky that they lost that game against the 49ers if they play that game against that 49ers team which this was the year that um, Trey Lance was a rookie but they kept playing Garoppolo and they didn't really have Hufunga I mean, he was on the team, but he wasn't giving them significant minutes. They didn't have Diamador Lenore, uh, but they had some of the same pieces like uh, Trent Williams, and uh, obviously they didn't have McCaffrey yet, but they had Trent Williams and Debo Samuel and everything like that. And that game gets played 10 times over. The Packers are winning that game 8 out of 10 times, or maybe even 9 out of 10 times. They just got brutally unlucky that they lost that game to San Francisco with the best team that they probably maybe the best team they've had in all of Aaron Rodgers' time with the Packers was that year that uh, 2021 Rodgers coulda shoulda woulda won the MVP and that was Devonte Adams' last game with the Packers before he gets traded to the Raiders. Remember they did the whole last dance thing. I still have it actually in the archives. Let me play the last dance theme song that we used to have for the Packers um, back when the Green Bay Packers were. 
saying it was going to be the last dance and Aaron Rodgers was posting the picture of Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and then uh, Devontae Adams posted the Scottie Pippen photo and then I think Robert Tunyon posted a Dennis Rodman photo or something. Here's that last dance theme song we played from that season for the Packers. is so disgruntled with Green Bay Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to return to the team. And so we have a standoff here that nobody knows exactly where it's going. He is not making this about money. He wants out of there and he's telling you there is no amount of money. We want him back in the worst way. I know he knows that. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll continue to work at it. The situation between the Green Bay Packers and Devontae Adams is not good as far as this weekend as far as training camp we will see there's been one message consistently coming out of Aaron Rodgers camp and and that's I don't want to be here and so after it was all said and done for the Packers I remember Aaron Rodgers came back and it was really confusing because it was like the whole purpose of the last dance was this is it Devontae Adams is going to go at the end of the season uh the offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett left at the end of the season, uh, a couple of free agents like, uh, who is the linebacker? Um, Zadarius Smith left, and most of the defense was either rookies or second-year players alongside Rasul Douglas and uh, Jair Alexander as the starting corners. Uh, they had Quay Walker, they had Rashawn Gary, they had the Stokes guy from Georgia who was a rookie, and... The whole defense was brand new players. The whole offense was Christian Watson's, Romeo Dubes. I know it's Dobbs, but I still feel like calling it Dubes. Uh, they still had Alan Lazard, but he was on his way out. Uh, Tunyon was on his way out. So, like, last year's version of the Packers was supposed to be the po- like Aaron. Everyone left, but Aaron Rodgers was still there, right? It's like if the last dance had happened and... You subtract Scottie Pippen, you trade Steve Kerr, uh, you trade Dennis Rodman. Just like everything that happened with the Bulls except Michael Jordan comes back. Like, it was really strange there and Rodgers returned for the money and stayed in Green Bay for a season. It was a lame duck season. He's over Green Bay. They're over him. Mutually part ways. Jordan Love takes over the team. And for some reason, after all of that, I felt so much conviction that this was a 7-10 and football team coming into this season. Because they subtracted all of the pieces that made the Packers the Packers and replaced them with players who have not shown themselves to be superstars. Quay Walker's very good. Rashawn Gary's very good. But it's not the people who left. Like, Zadarius Smith was a double-digit sack guy. And they had Preston Smith on the other side as an edge rusher that was making a big difference. Devontae Adams, like as much as people wanted to make the conversation about Devontae Adams being a byproduct of Aaron Rodgers just because he was drafted in the second round out of Fresno State, like Devontae Adams went to the Raiders last season and on a team that won six games made first team all pro. We found the statistical analysis back in January that there's only one wide receiver in the NFL that made an all pro team in 2021 and 2022. It was Devontae Adams and he did it with one year of Aaron Rodgers and one year of Derek Carr 
on completely different teams and completely different offenses, he still made first-team All-Pro. Like, Devontae Adams is that special of a wide receiver. We're seeing it right now, Devontae Adams with the Raiders, despite the fact the Raiders are, by the time you're listening to this, either 1-3 and three or 2-2 two and two because they beat the Chargers in the most hilarious way possible, I would assume. Like, the Green Bay Packers find themselves in this unique situation where they got rid of the six players that all were the the core of that team, that three-year run where they won 39 regular season games, where they were the number one or number two seed in the the NFC every single year. Like the six meaningful players that were the reason they were the most talented team in football in 2021, all of them gone all at the same time. And again, while Quay Walker is very good, Preston Smith is very good, Jair Alexander was a top five corner uh, two seasons ago, like they've never been able to replicate the top level talent that they've needed to be able to compete. And I think you're kind of seeing the results of that decision, right? Romeo Dubes, I keep calling him Dubes, Romeo Dubes has been fantastic this season. Um, So far this year, Aaron Rodgers, or not Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love has been hit and miss. Like, I, I don't know what to make exactly of Jordan Love through four games because it's just a small sample size so far. Like, Jordan Love, they the Thursday night broadcast showed these statistics of Jordan Love where, like, in first halves of games, he has, like, a 60 passer rating. In the second halves of games, he has 104 passer rating. He's got eight touchdowns. He's got three interceptions. If you expand that out for a full season, that's, like, 30 touchdowns. 12 interceptions, an 88.0 passer rating, a shitty completion percentage. I will note that a 56% per, uh, completion percentage. But like if his completion percentage improves ever so slightly, I mean, he's essentially an above average NFL quarterback. Right now he's slightly below average and that's a byproduct of incompletions that have fallen incomplete instead of being interceptions. But like Jordan Love has been a pretty good quarterback so far. I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we were doing a video on Justin Fields that, like, the Bears whooped ass. Uh, I'm sorry, Jordan Love whooped ass against the Bears. Understandably a bad defense, but he was averaging 16 yards per completion. In the second half of that game, just stomped the Bears 28-7. to And... Jordan Love looked, I I watched most of that Saints-Packers game, which I think is why I was so intrigued by the Jordan Love conversation, and he was missing passes, they had zero points, they were able to move the ball down the field, but when push came to shove, they were going for it on fourth downs and not converting, Um, trying to run the ball with A.J. Dillon and having minimal luck, like, the Packers offense was really stagnant until that fourth quarter when it just took over and you saw Jordan Love make those passes. And I know people have done the analyses on Twitter of of Jordan Love's throwing mechanics and how much they replicate Aaron Rodgers because of the practice he'd been putting in for the last three years. But even if I don't know exactly what to make of Jordan Love, he's been a decent quarterback so far and decent when you're replacing the Hall of Famer and having a decent wide receiver like Romeo Dubes, who has is on pace for a thousand yards, on pace for 10 touchdowns. Even when you have above average at the as a replacement wide receiver, and even as we look at the Packers and say, hey, 
for all the talent that they've lost over the past couple years, and Aaron Rodgers leaving, Devontae Adams getting traded, um, the Aaron Jones having his injury problems, the Darius Smith leaving, uh, Preston Smith no longer being the player he once was, Blake Martinez retiring, like for all of the talent that was such a focal point of the Packers before and you could even point to like David Bakhtiari has uh, missed an entire season and now he's on the pup list this year like as uh, uh, Corey Lindsley who was their center left in free agency to go to the Chargers like these these six fundamental pieces of what they were building years ago you can point to it and say they had a plan at every position and they drafted and signed players precisely they did exactly what they needed to do we're gonna lose a quarterback drafted one in the first round and that quarterback has looked decent so far uh our running back is gonna get injured draft aj Dillon in the second round uh we're gonna lose our three wide receivers we're gonna draft christian watson and we're gonna draft romeo dubes and uh, i forgot the name of number 13 for the packers but he's also been pretty good this year we're gonna draft three wide receivers in three draft classes and from there, we're going to build out a uh, new wide receiver core that uh, has, even though Christian Watts, uh, Jaden Reed is who I was thinking of, uh, Jaden Reed and Romeo Dubes and Christian Watson. And those three are going to be, we're going to have a thousand yard receiver an 800 yard receiver. And those receivers are, are all going to have top level, they're going to have above average receiving numbers. Essentially, I'm trying to figure out what Christian Watson had last year. Christian Watson, uh, 611 yards and seven touchdowns last season for Christian Watson, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers iced him out of the offense for a couple weeks. Uh, And also, he only played 13 games. But you have Christian Watson as a potential 1,000-yard receiver. Dobbs is on his way to 1,000 yards. Jaden Reed is a player they drafted who's a slot number three. Uh, Tight end, we're going to lose Tunyon. Uh, We're going to slide in Luke Musgrave, second-round pick. He's been all over the field. Every time you're watching the Packers, you see Luke Musgrave come up, playing on like 80% of the snaps. Uh, we're going to lose Bakhtiari, slide in Elton Jenkins. We're going to lose uh, Preston Smith. We're going to slide in, or uh, Zadarius Smith. We're going to slide in Rashawn Gary. Quay Walker in the center of the defense. There you go. Um, we're going to lose our starting corner, slide in Rasul Douglas as a pickup. Draft Eric Stokes as a cornerback. Like The Packers have had plans at every position, and yet because they haven't drafted superstars or haven't been able to rebuild this plane in the sky by drafting another generational talent – they're kind of going to float in the middle because who's the best player on the Packers right now? That's the thing that has keeps clicking in my mind. Who is the best player on the Green Bay Packers? I guess you would say it's Jair Alexander on the offensive side of the ball. Is it AJ Dillon? Is it Jordan Love? Like that's the interesting thing is they found they 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 had a strategic plan for replacements at every position. We can rebuild this thing in the sky. Uh, Lil Goody, who had beef with Aaron Rodgers, and Aaron Rodgers tried to get fired. He part of his condition of return was that Gutekunst had to be fired. They ended up coming to terms on it. Uh, Lil Goody, Mark Murphy, they had a plan at every position, and you can see the vision. You can see the plan of how they rebuilt the plane in the sky. We're going to lose Devontae Adams, draft Christian Watson. We're going to lose Alan Lazard. We're going to draft Romeo Dubes. Um, with the draft picks we're going to trade away in the Devontae Adams trade, we're going to draft uh, another edge rusher. They took, um, what's his name, Lucas Van Ness 
in last year's draft. So we're going to lose Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, fundamental pieces of our championship run. I mean, they didn't make the championship, but the three years that they won 39 games in the regular season, here's Lucas Van Ness, here's Rashawn Gary, first-round picks. They can replace Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith at uh, cheaper contracts for now. Uh, we're gonna, we got a problem with the linebacker position. We'll draft Quay Walker. Uh, we're going to lose our corner. We're going to draft Eric Stokes. Like They had plans at every position to replace every position three years after making it to the NFC Championship game. And none of those players turned into superstars. They're all good to very good. And because none of them have turned into superstars, the Packers are headed for 7-10. and 10. And it's so interesting to think that they had the vision, they had the plan, they executed in rebuilding that roster essentially in two years. Because in 2021, when they had the best version of their team, I think like three of the current starters were on that team maybe four or five, and looking at the team now with Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Christian Watson, Romeo Dubes, they've replaced everyone, and none of them are superstars. And that's why I felt so confident the Packers are headed for 7-10, and 10, and why nerd, nerd statistics and nerd analysis would suggest they might be headed for 8-9 and nine or 7-10. and 10. We'll see what happens, because I'm really fascinated by this Green Bay Packer team. Really fascinated. Henceforth, why on this NFL Monday, I wanted to give you 20 minutes on a team that wasn't even playing this week. So now we're going to uh, have a little fun with our friend Juju Talk Sports. Let's talk about Daniel Jones. Let's talk about the Seattle Seahawks, and let's talk about some Barack Purdy. So it would appear that I was a little premature when I wrote off the Seahawks a couple weeks ago after they dropped their opener to the Rams. They are now 2-1 and one on a two-game winning streak. So clearly I need to bring in someone that knows a little bit more about this team. So we're going to welcome in Kelvin Domingo, Steezy A. Smith. Uh, Kelvin, so Seahawks through three weeks. What do you think has been the most consistent thing you've seen about this team this year? I think with the Seahawks, definitely the ability to score the football. And I think definitely the ability to run the football. Um, there are a couple aspects of the offense that I'm not in love with, particularly third down and, and Seattle's lack of, I guess, ability to convert efficiently on third down. But I think for the most part, with the exception of week one, I know Seattle always seems to have a hard time with the L.A. Rams, but the offense has showed plenty of signs of life. And, and that's without even getting a Jackson Smith and Jigba involved. And so I think this offense has a lot of potential. So do you think that week one was just ultimately a bad pairing? They just got a bad luck of the draw with the Rams? I think you you could say that, but, you know, I don't want to take any credit away from Sean McVay and the Rams. I feel like, you know, even for me, I was a little above the consensus as it pertained to the Rams heading into the season. I was a little higher on, on the Rams. I knew that they were going to contend, you know, for a, let's say like a wild card spot in the NFC and just dating back to, I don't know how long it goes, but the history between the Rams and the Seahawks, it doesn't matter who's good. It doesn't matter who's bad. Every time these two teams play against each other it's always a slugfest it's always a dogfight and you know who's supposed to win doesn't always win and so I don't want to just chalk it up as like oh yeah you know it's a game against the Rams because who knows maybe Seattle does stumble like that down the road but I guess for the most part you could say that Julian Steezy the Seattle Seahawks have been in an interesting position for a couple years because 
they now have Kenneth Walker and they drafted uh, Zach Charbonnet. I always butcher his name, but they have completely revamped the running back room. Obviously, new quarterback room. Noah Fant comes in. Uh, they draft Jackson Smith and Jigba, as you mentioned. So how do you feel, say, 18 games into this revamped offense? How do you feel about what the Seahawks are putting forward? Pitcher was sky high. I mean, you look at the Seahawks and where they stand right now. Last time I checked, they're top five in the NFL in scoring as far as how many points they're putting up per game. And that's through week three. I know it's early in the season, but to be top five at this point in the season, especially for a team as young as Seattle, I think that's definitely saying something. And like I talked about, you haven't really gotten a Jackson Smith and Jigba involved. You haven't really had your two starting tackles um, healthy. You haven't had a healthy defense. Tariq Wollin didn't play. Jamal Adams has yet to play. He will play uh, next week against the Giants on Monday Night Football. And so I think for Seattle to kind of be where they're at offensively, they're ahead of schedule, far ahead of schedule. I mean, like I said earlier, this team is top five in the NFL in scoring, entering or I guess entering week four at the conclusion of week three, entering week four, top five in the NFL in scoring. And so it's a bunch of young talent, the exception of obviously the veterans and the Geno, D. Canton, excuse me, not Stone, Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. The protection has been holding up well um, with, with the backups coming in there and playing very solid football. Again, the offense, uh, there's still plenty of signs, plenty of areas for them to improve. But right now it's ahead of schedule. They're very potent. And uh, man, I think the, the sky's the limit. One of the big driving forces of this offense is at the end of the day going to be the quarterback position. And the jury is still out kind of on what Geno Smith brings to this team. Through three weeks, do you think that Geno's regress stayed the same or improved from last season? Man, I think if anything, he's improved. Um, I think it's hard to say that he's regressed, especially when he hasn't had his two starting tackles. And yet the protection has held up. He has been able to compensate for that. I think his ability to kind of, you know, be mobile in and out of the pocket. He's he's always had sneaky athleticism. I think he's been able to showcase that. I think the accuracy has still been there. Maybe the deep ball, he hasn't been pushing the ball as often deep down the field as he was last year. But I think play calling will start to open up. And so I think at this point, it's safe to say that he hasn't regressed. He hasn't just stayed where he was. I think he's only improved. I'm curious about the Jackson Smith and Jigba part of this, because we've kind of touched on it a couple times. Like when they drafted him, it was a strange choice because they had the two top wide receivers. People started to ask the questions like, is Lockett not going to be coming back? Uh, what's the future with DK and everything? It was just an interesting choice. But the thing that I've kind of focused in on is like this was kind of like a plethora of riches type of pick. Like they had everything taken care of from all the picks they had and and so what do you think about Jackson Smith and Jigba? I mean, not just not getting the targets, but really not playing as many snaps as we would have anticipated from a first round pick. Well, two things. I think one wide receiver three has been in need in Seattle for I don't know how long now. It's been the past three, four five years in which, you know, Seattle fans have been clamoring for a guy behind a DK and a tie like it just because the, the receiver a depth chart in Seattle has been top heavy. You know, there's not there hasn't been a reliable third option. And so I think that was most definitely a need. I didn't think it was a luxury pick whatsoever. You look at Seattle, they've constantly ranked near the bottom of the league as far as yards after the catch. And that's something that Jackson Smith and Jigba excelled at in college and then some. And so I think with his lack of inclusion in the game plan, I think you can kind of attribute some of that to his wrist injury. Because if you guys recall, was it the second preseason game of the preseason the second week of the preseason, excuse me, he uh, he broke his wrist or at least he broke a couple bones in his wrist. And so I think that's kind of, you know, played a factor into why he hasn't been 100 percent, why he hasn't been getting as many snaps as he probably should be getting. But 
I remember seeing a report that if he were to play week one, he probably wouldn't be 100% until about week three, week four, maybe after the bye. And so I think as the weeks start to progress, as we get deeper into the season, he'll be more involved in the offense, and we'll start to see why Seattle took him 20th overall. Now, a lot of the talk in the offseason was that the Seahawks were getting a little bit closer to the 49ers. And through the early season evaluation, as I look at this 49ers team, they're looking like a Super Bowl-worthy team, whereas the Seahawks... I think they're still a team that will obviously be in the NFC playoffs if they keep playing like this. But I still think the Niners today are in a separate tier than them. And you look at their three matchups last year. You mentioned that the deep ball or going for the deep ball hasn't really been there. Do you think the Seahawks can even match up well with the Niners if they don't start to push the ball downfield a little bit more? Oh, most definitely. I mean, and Julian, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think Seattle is in the same tier as San Francisco. San Francisco is in their own tier. And if they're if they're to stay healthy, they should win the Super Bowl this year. I mean, that's my pick to win the Super Bowl. And, and coming from a Seahawks fan, it almost disgusts me to have to say something like that. But you know, as you guys know, um, I try to be as objective as possible. And I know I speak real whenever I can. When when I look at the 49ers play, I mean, that's the best team of football right there. Um, but going back to what you were saying, yeah, heck yeah. What Seattle is never going to be able to match up if they're not pushing the ball down the field. And like I said, as soon as Jackson Smith and Jigba is more comfortable with his wrist, he starts to incorporate him more into the game plan. Pete Carroll's been hyping up. Jake Bobo, who caught his first touchdown against the Panthers just yesterday, he's going to be more involved in the game plan. DK Metcalf wasn't 100%, yet still caught six passes for 112 yards against the Panthers with sore and injured ribs. And so um, once Seattle gets back those offensive tackles, Charles Cross, Abe Lucas, then Gino is probably going to be more confident, you know, staying in the pocket an extra second or two just so he can push the ball down the field. But I think right now guys aren't healthy and the playbook isn't nearly as open as it was because guys aren't healthy. But once guys get healthy, the playbook is going to open up. Gino's going to be more comfortable passing the ball down the field and we're going to start to see the D-ball more. So if we are looking at tiers of like tier one is 49ers, tier two is Eagles, is tier three like the Seahawks, Cowboys, Detroit Lions kind of group in your mind? Yeah, honestly, yeah, I'd have to say so. Um, I talked about this earlier. Seattle still has to work on, on third down execution, both offensively and defensively. There's too much of, of a discrepancy there. Carolina, if last time I checked, was 10 of 19 on third down. Seattle, 3 of 13, their offense. That's not going to cut it. And Seattle's lucky they even scored 37 points. This Carolina Panthers team is beat up defensively. They're missing a couple of starters. And so Seattle could have scored 50-plus. If they converted more third downs and if the five field goals they had turned to a couple more touchdowns. And so, yeah, I think right now, I, I think you'd be right in saying that Seattle's kind of in that tier three. They're still, I think, in a playoff lock, um, obviously, as long as guys stay healthy. But as far as being a real contender, uh, as far as representing the NFC in the Super Bowl, they're below the, the Eagles, below the Niners, and they're probably still below the Cowboys. I'd probably put them fourth right now in the NFC, but in tier three. I got to give an appreciation question to your guys' running game because Kenneth Walker, he is a stud. And Zach Charbonnet in this last game, when he Ooh. bodied that defender at the goal line, that should have counted as a touchdown. Like, I know it didn't, but it, it felt <laughs> like it should have. Just like style points, what he did to that poor man. He stole a man's soul. That was like Derrick Henry type stuff. How do you rate the running game between Charbonnet and Walker, that one-two punch? Man, um, some people thought I was crazy going into the season. I was hyping up the Seahawks backfield. I said that by season's end, this is going to be a top three, top five running back duo in the National Football League. And I think we're starting to see that before our very eyes. I keep talking about ad nauseum. The two tackles have not been there. So imagine how much better these guys are going to look once the tackles are there. And they're already doing this, right? Ken Walker, 
in my eyes, in my own objective opinion, uh, he should have been offensive rookie of the year last year. He had the most first place votes. And so the way I look at him, he's the reigning real offensive rookie of the year. No shade, no disrespect to Gary Wilson, but Ken Walker is that dude. Zach Charbonnet, he was once compared to DeMarco Murray. And as you guys probably remember, when he was with the Cowboys, he was over here winning Russian titles. And so, man, I think the future is absolutely bright for this run game. And Julian, like he talked about, he sent that man flying back to Carolina. Oh man, dude! I, what I'm so glad that Pete Carroll has gone into the playbook and added the Kenneth Walker do cool shit plays. Like I, when he was in college, that was just the greatest thing. It's just like, hey, this play call Kenneth Walker do cool shit, and then they went to the playbook and changed things up for him. If you got Kenneth Walker, you got Charbonnet, and you got this top running game, how you feel about them going into the New York Giants next week? A team that allows an average of 2.5 yards before contact on the ground worst in the nfl wow i mean you look at the carolina panthers and before their matchup in week three they were 25th in the nfl and they were giving up 132 rushing yards per game and so i think with the new york giants um there's a lot of potential on that defense but yeah like you talked about league worst against the run they're without their own star running back in a saquon barkley and so that offense is going to struggle that offense is going to struggle to put up points which is going to put even more pressure on the on a tired defense and um, I just think Seattle is going to absolutely bludgeon, you know, that New York Giants run defense. It's going to be a run heavy game plan, just like what it was against Carolina. Seattle is probably going to be favored. If not, they should be as the week does come along. And so Ken Walker has yet to rush for 100 yards on the ground on the season. And so I think he eclipses the century mark as far as rushing. Um, and Zach Charbonnet, he could push for 50 plus because I think his season high was that 46 or 43 that he had just a couple of days ago. Um, I, I think we'll see season highs from both these guys. All right, Steezy A. Smith, tell us where we can follow and listen to your content. Hey, first of all, as, as always, thank you, Julian. Thank you, Kyle. Shout out to y'all. As always, you guys put out great work. Love seeing your guys' stuff at the Slump Buster Podcast on all social media platforms. Show these boys some love. Once you go do that, you can find me at Steezy A. Smith, S-T-E-E-Z-Y-A-S-M-I-T-H, all social media platforms. So the Giants season hasn't started off exactly like everyone in New York was hoping it would. Uh, Brian Dable infuriated on the sidelines as the 49ers started running it up late. Uh, some calls definitely didn't go their way. I'll even admit that as a Niners fan. But nonetheless, here we are. They're one and two. They got blown out 40 to zero in week one. They were down 20 points against the Cardinals in week two. And yeah, they were hanging tough for at least the first half, but they ultimately got blown out again in week three. Saquon Barkley was out. Uh, they were missing their starting left tackle. Daniel Jones, though, I, I think the question always boils back down to him. Daniel Jones, did they make the wrong decision to extend him and not franchise tag him? Yes. <laughs> Care to uh, elaborate we, 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 for me? We said the same thing back in March, right? It was ridiculous. Everyone knew it was ridiculous too, right? Nobody was going to pay Daniel Jones $40 million. Nobody was going to pay Daniel Jones $32 million. It was reported the next closest like offer they were thinking was like $28 million. Nobody was going to pay that for Daniel Jones. Nobody was going to pay that. And what's funny about it so far is like the Giants are one and two, but like Daniel Jones has been like the strongest part of the team so far, which is really weird to think about. Like Daniel Jones has been the strength of the Giants <laughs> through this part of the season. So, I mean, yeah. you could extend him as much as you want or crap on him for that, but like he's holding up his end of the bargain for what we can reasonably expect for Daniel Jones, which is like a middle of the road quarterback. 
Well, there are things to like about Daniel Jones, right? He is more athletic than your typical QB. And the Giants were able to leverage that last year to their advantage. What he was able to do on the run in that like Minnesota playoff game. Yes, yes, he's average. He's average as all hell. That's for sure when I think about Daniel Jones. But at the same time for this team, I thought that he could at least have given them like a couple more good years. For them, it's just now you have to bite the bullet that you paid him what you paid him. And you alienated Saquon Barkley too like so we'll see how that negotiation goes if you're the Giants like are you just looking at any out clause right now do you what is your plan like there's no out man they gave Daniel Jones three years essentially before they could get out of that deal there's no out here they are committed to Daniel Jones for the next two and a half seasons at the very least there and by the way, it's not the worst strategy in the world. We've seen other teams succeed with less. And look, put this part on the table first before we come back to Daniel Jones. Last year, the Giants were 8-4-1 and one in one-score games. One-score games are what I would call essentially coin flip games. So the Giants probably should have been about 6-6-1 six, six, and one in those one-score games, which means the Giants probably should have been about 7-9-1 and one last season, not 9-7-1 and one in, in the playoffs. Now, you may remember they played a London game last year against the Packers. The Packers were up 20-0 to zero at halftime. The Packers lost that game. If that one single result flips, guess how the NFC playoffs look last year? Seahawks 6, Packers 7. Giants eight. That one single result was the reason the Giants got to the playoffs last year. And if I told you last year, the Giants went eight, eight and one missed the playoffs. And then this year looked one and two. It would look a lot less surprising than the Giants are nine, seven and one won a playoff game last year and now look like crap. Like this team was not talented enough last year. They won a bullshit playoff game. Congratulations. That's a great accomplishment. You don't have to apologize for winning a bullshit playoff game. You won a bullshit playoff game. That's awesome. The Giants hadn't won a playoff game since 2012, but at the same time, they're not that good in terms of the actual like talent on the roster. Okay, now fast forward to this year. Saquon Barkley is already hurt. They still can't stop the run. Name a wide receiver on their team (laughs) at this point who is, I mean, they have Darren Waller, obviously, but like name a wide receiver that's top 30 in the NFL. (laughs) You see fundamental flaws within the Giants roster at this point. Well, I think they would have hoped that Jalen Hyatt could have a rookie breakout and the jury's still out if he can be an elite level wide receiver. So I'm not going to completely bury Jalen Hyatt. It's just going to be a matter of will the offense ever facilitate Jalen Hyatt ascending to something greater than what he is because even Kadarius Tony, like obviously we know he had issues in week one, but the second he went to Kansas city, he looked amazing, right? The offense as is, it's obviously very run centric. They're not pushing the ball a lot downfield and that's going to limit any wide receiver. So I'm not saying they're the most talented wide receiving group in the NFL. They're certainly not, but I, I don't think that even if they did have talent at the wide receiving unit, we would really necessarily see it shine through because there's just not enough opportunities for it. However, I would say like Darren Waller, there's obvious signs of regressions there. And I guess regression is the point of this whole video, right? Has Daniel Jones regressed or is he the same quarterback as last year? I don't think Daniel Jones is playing so bad that I'm like, he needs to get out of here. Cause like I said, off the top, like Daniel Jones is holding up his end of the bargain. It's just Daniel Jones is one of those quarterbacks that has had three subpar seasons and one above average season. That's not usually something you want to commit $40 million to. Cause it's more likely that the, the mean is closer to the, the lower end of that than it is to the high end of that. And Daniel Jones was fine last year. Daniel Jones is better than a lot of the quarterback numbers would suggest because of what the 
running element that he can bring. But the thing that the Giants have let him down on, in a sense, is they have started to ask too much of Daniel Jones without providing him enough of a foundation to succeed. Now, they drafted Andrew Thomas with the fourth pick in the draft. That was looking like it was going to be a bad pick. Now it looks like a very good pick. Granted, he's now hurt, but he was worth giving the largest contract to an off to a left tackle in the NFL this offseason. So like that's something that has supported him. But if you go back and look at what they've tried to do with the skill position players, it's first round pick on Kadarius Tony, second round pick on Wandale Robinson, third round pick on Jalen Hyatt. Uh, when they traded Kadarius Tony, they got back a compensatory third round pick, and then they traded a third round pick for Darren Waller. So they essentially trade Kadarius Tony for Darren Waller. And it's not that Darren Waller has regressed. Darren Waller is, I think, a sneaky 31 years old. (laughs) Like Darren Waller just got old. That's what happened. And the offense is not giving Daniel Jones enough time to make those plays. And quite frankly, Daniel Jones can't really make those plays consistently enough to be a top end passer in the NFL. He's just not good enough. And he's never been good enough. I don't know why we have to pretend that he is good enough. But at the same time, Daniel Jones has been the the strongest link on the Giants so far. So I'm not even like pounding fist on the table of like Daniel Jones needs to get out of there. Like they can still be decent with Daniel Jones as their quarterback. Last year was proof of that. They can be decent if they have Daniel Jones as their starting quarterback and put some level of support around him. What about Kayvon Thibodeau? Has he been a disappointment to this point? Because I know a lot of Giants fans haven't been too happy with his play. Um, you, you really didn't notice him in the Niners game. Like he didn't really make his presence felt. I, I didn't hear Kayvon Thibodeau's name like echoed like at all in that broadcast. I think give it time. What was actually funny is, is prior to that game, Kayvon Thibodeau had had zero tackles on the season in the first two games. I think he had one tackle for loss in that game, but it had been a very quiet start to the year for Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, he had been excellent as a rookie, not like defensive rookie of the year over the top, but he he was excellent as a rookie. And I think it's just a weird fit because... Kayvon Thibodeau and Dexter Lawrence playing on the same defensive line with Aziz Ojolare and and not really any nose tackle is just an interesting fit because the Giants can't stop the run, but they don't really have room to improve from stopping the run because Thibodeau, is, his strength is pass rushing. His strength is not rush defense. Meanwhile, Dexter Lawrence's strength is pass rushing and not rush defense. Meanwhile, Aziz Ojolare, who's normally their other edge rusher, his strength is pass rushing, but not run defense. Their linebacking unit is not very strong. So it's just like the roster is just kind of constructed strangely. That's the best thing I can say. Like they, they are going to be able to stop some people, but it's just a strange roster constructed. Double down by the fact that when they are pass rushing, they're starting two rookie corners one of whom is a sixth round pick. So like they have Deontay Banks, who's a first round pick as a number one corner. Their number two corner is a sixth round rookie. So like there's just some fundamental flaws on the roster that I just like don't know what to do with. But in in terms of Thibodeau, he's had a a slow start to this season. But overall, I think he's been fine. With the decision to extend Jones and franchise tag Barkley and Barkley is hurt, does that at all vindicate the decision at least on Barkley to not offer him a long-term extension because this is a player that has dealt with health issues himself and that was a big part of the negotiation that was a big part of the hold in hold out whatever it was yes and no 
because the flip side to that is they just had no way to run the football. And you could say like the Niners have the best run defense in the NFL. They had 17 rushing yards in that game, <laughs> like minus the garbage time eight yard run by Tyrod Taylor. They had 17 rushing yards in that entire football game. Vindicated in the sense that they can't do shit running the ball without Saquon Barkley. But so that's the no. But the yes is obviously Saquon Barkley got hurt. And if they were going to offer him a three year contract and he got hurt, they're committing long term to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley when neither of them are guarantees to stay on the field or give you a level of production that will compete in even the NFC wildcard. So I think you're signing yourself up for mediocrity if you commit to a plan that hasn't succeeded in the past long term. But I don't know what the recourse is for the Giants. They just they missed on so many draft picks and missed on so many free agent signings that it's just like at a certain point, it's like the Raiders. You can only miss on so many free agent signings and so many draft picks before it it comes back to bite you and you just can't stop the run or are starting rookie corners or are trading seventh round picks for Isaiah Simmons to try and fill gaps in your defense. Yeah. Do you think Dayball screwed here because again he won coach of the year last year and I think he was deserving of winning that title I do think that he did change a lot of things that the Giants weren't previously doing in a positive direction but if Jones is locked in there for at least a couple of years can Dayball survive the two years with Jones to make it out the other end make it to the light at the end of the tunnel Hey, I'm going to say the same thing that I've been saying for the last like 13 months. And this is when Daniel Jones was coming back with only one year on his contract. Nothing guaranteed. Look, Brian Dayball did not take that job to commit long term to Daniel Jones as his quarterback. And if Brian Dayball did take that job with the plan to commit to Daniel Jones long term, buddy, you should have held out for a better job because you could have had any coaching job in that 2022 cycle that you wanted. Buddy, you should have taken a better job if you were going to commit long term to Daniel Jones because that shit has a ceiling. And the ceiling is what happened last year. Like, again, if you change one result, the Giants missed the playoffs last year. They won a bullshit playoff game where admittedly Daniel Jones played the best game of his NFL career. And again, if you're a Giants fan or someone who follows the Giants, You don't need to apologize for winning a bullshit playoff game. Bullshit playoff game is bullshit playoff game. Congrats to you. You won a playoff game. That's something you probably won't do for the next eight years. So good on you. You got a playoff win, but this is not, it's not sustainable, right? Like Daniel Jones has a ceiling as a quarterback. And if that's the foundation of your franchise at $40 million a year, you have a ceiling on what you can do, especially when you talk about all the assets they've wasted trying to put receivers around him. But looking at this coming quarterback draft class and a lot of people are talking about it is a loaded quarterback draft class could you see the Giants doing something crazy even with Daniel Jones contract I mean Penix Jr. has gained a lot of love recently I don't know how far he's gonna fall with how well he's playing Quinn Ewers he might be like a second round pick third round pick potentially at this point do you think the Giants might go in that direction at least if not trading up to go and get the elite guys at least drafting a quarterback this year it wouldn't be my plan If I were the Giants, my plan would be best player available. Like best player available is the game plan. So you think that there's still some hope, right? Like if they were to get, let's say you put Marvin Harrison Jr. on this team right now. Do you think the Giants were looking at them like a playoff team, one wide receiver? You're going to have to do that plus more. Like you're going to have to have a vision for it. And and while Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't necessarily the person I was thinking of, because I don't think the Giants will be bad enough to to get a top five pick in the draft. Just throwing it out there as an example. I think the Giants plan is just get talented players on the roster, right? Because they're pretty mediocre, but this whole thing's not going to be a dumpster fire. Like, I don't think the game plan is just tear it to the ground and start again with a new quarterback because they're not in a position to support a new quarterback. Like, I, 
I mean, they, two blowouts, and they were looking like they were going to get blown out by the Cardinals. Now, the Cardinals, again, did just beat the Cowboys, so I don't know what to make of the Cardinals right now, but, you know, it's not looking good. No, it's not looking good. And if the opportunity presents itself, it shouldn't be off the table. But if I'm the Giants, I'm just taking best player available, uh, regardless of position. I mean, don't take a running back, but regardless of position, <laughs> <laughs> they should just take best player available and, and go with that. Because, I mean, if they can rebuild this plane in the sky is essentially what I'm thinking here. Like if they get their Micah Parsons or they get their TJ Watt, and I know I picked edge rushers, but it can be another position too. It could, it could be Marvin Harrison Jr. It could be a star linebacker. Yeah. If they, if they get an impact player along the, like a blue chip prospect and insert that into the system and, and Dayball reconstructs the offense with, with the pieces that they have, maybe they bring back Saquon Barkley. Maybe they don't, but if they don't, maybe they're in the, the who, tank Bigsby game or they're in the Alexander Madison game or the Tony Pollard game or whatever they do. Like however they try, they, they need to make changes and I don't think it'll ever get them to as good as they were last year. But at the same time, I wouldn't tear the whole thing down to bring back a quarterback. Cause like they're not going to be able to support a quarterback. They are financially committed long-term to pieces like Andrew Thomas and Dexter Lawrence and, and draft picks that actually hit in the last rebuild. Yeah. They missed on a lot of picks, but, but unless you're going to really tear this thing to the ground, I don't see the game plan in that sense. This is your core for the next two years. As flawed as it may be, this is this is your core for two more seasons. I don't really think that they are in a position to to tear this thing to the studs. I think they're just stuck in the purgatory of fighting for the seventh playoff spot. <laughs> I guess it just depends like who's going to outlast who, Debo or Daniel Jones. Think of a franchise quarterback. You think of Joe Montana, Dan Marino right? Brock Purdy is just kind of a weird name. It doesn't sound like a franchise quarterback name. Purdy's a little too close to Turdy. I just think people have a hard time looking at that name and saying that's a franchise quarterback. I know when I first saw that name. That easily is the most ridiculous point you've ever made. That's easily (laughs) the most ridiculous point you've ever made. Yes. That is. That's absurd. That's one of the silliest things I've ever heard. I guarantee you. I guarantee you I'm not the only person that that's like, well, that's not a quarterback name. My first question here, is Brock Purdy a quarterback name? I just, uh, this, you know what? I, at, at the very least, I appreciate that Mike Florio has a sense of humor about these things. Like, like West Virginia lawyer, who's very like up in arms at, at the very least, he is softened enough that he is able to laugh at that. Cause like he knew when he was saying it, it was silly. Like, I don't know. Brock it's, is pretty cool, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's the it, most ridiculous take I think I've ever heard. Brock Purdy, like, I don't see why it's not. We've had way weirder names in the NFL, right? At quarterback. Are, are 49ers fans taking this seriously? Like, I'm not as deep into the 49ers Twitter sphere as you are. Are they actually taking this <laughs> seriously? I don't think anyone's taking it too seriously other than to another example of Mike Florio just hating just to hate because... He has been known to be kind of somewhat of a Niners hater. I think it all boils down to that 2019 playoff game between the uh, Vikings and Niners because he is a known Vikings fan. But I just kind of like question, you couldn't think of anything better. Like I've never even heard like someone use Turdy as an expression. So to go from Brock Purdy to Turdy, like heck, even if I was just to make an argument, I think that Brock's name is even better as a quarterback because, wow, that's a Purdy throw. That's an easy pun to throw out there. I wouldn't think, oh, that's a turdy throw. 
I, I just appreciate that like Peter King just like listened to this is like, dude, what are you talking about right now? Like you just see Peter's face and you're just like, what? <laughs> like, Are you happy that you've got this off your chest? Does yeah. this feel good to really just let this all out on camera right now? Does it feel good to, to <laughs> get this off your chest? You've been carrying this weight of all the doubters who are hating on the Niners and Brock Purdy. Does it feel good to get this one out off your chest? See, I could understand anyone that was critical of Brock Purdy's week three game against the Giants from a play standpoint, but just to be coming after the guy's name with the most irrational take about his name just threw me off. Like, did anyone think Tom Brady was a cool name? Again, I'm not comparing the two. Did anyone think Ben Roethlisberger was a cool name? Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Wacko Flacco? We thought Joe Flacco was a great name? Like, come on. Like, Matt Ryan, does that sound like a quarterback name? I don't know. (laughs) Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan does sound like a generic quarterback name, I will say. That's that's like the most generic quarterback name I can think of. But what realistically, what is the weirdest name in the NFL quarterback sphere right now or even in the past? Like, I I can't even think like listen to the name. Oh, well, right now. Right now, Teddy Bridgewater. That's easy. Teddy Bridgewater is the easiest, easily funniest name. It sounds like like a cartoon steamboat, like that. The, all the cart, the, all the cartoon characters are driving down the Teddy Bridgewater. But Teddy Bridgewater is kind of cool. I I kind of like it a little bit, like especially because he has the Teddy Two Gloves name. I, I've heard some people throw out there like Kenny Pickett is kind of a ridiculous quarterback name, just because you could literally make a euphemism for like interception with his last name. I guess I misunderstood where you were going with that. In that case, the winner is the kicker whose last name is Blewett. Uh, I I think the last time I saw him, he was in Washington. Well, or that is somewhere. a horrible kicker name. First of all, if it's not Dicker the kicker, then you know I, I, all other names for kickers not named Dicker, just throw well, them out the they, window. We'll say not enough good kicker nicknames. I've been advocating for this for years. I've been trying to get the the everyone's either like Money Mac or Money Badger. No, let's get fun kicker names. For example, Evan McPherson. I call him Kick Jagger. We need better kicker nicknames. That's something I've been advocating for for years. But in terms of quarterbacks, Taylor Heineke's pretty good. That's a that's a pretty good random quarterback name, I guess. But I guess in terms of like wacky and weird, it's hard to top pick it, right? Well, yeah. And, you know, I've never like looked at anyone who's currently playing quarterback right now and like discounted them for being a quarterback because of their name. And it's pivot now to starting to talk about kind of like Brock Purdy, the player, because that's what really matters. Uh, hmm. The last two weeks, you know, people have kind of been a little bit more critical of his play. People are kind of wondering, are, is the league starting to figure him out? Ultimately, he still put up over 300 yards against the Giants in that game. And what I found like impressive, and I, I think this is like a all-time high for sack percentage, like according to the, like the advanced metrics, he was gained like peppered with people coming from the Giants all night. The Giants defensive coordinator just kept sending them, kept sending them. And Brock Purdy kind of adjusted in the second half. I, I think I left more impressed. You know, the Niners 3-0, and they got a nice little rest. They go against the Cardinals this week. I, I don't know. Like, has Brock Purdy over the last two games given you any real cause for doubt? Real cause for doubt, no. Nitpicking cause for doubt, sure. I mean, he's he's played a couple game manager games in his career. We talked about it on local radio. You may be able to see back there. I'm a, I'm a living in Sacramento. We cover the 49ers. And the thing we've been saying is like Purdy played like a game manager, but also had uh, in the week two game against the Rams. Uh, a 93 passer rating, which was his lowest passer rating since his first start against the Dolphins. And for those who don't know, 
93 passer rating is still above average because the, the average passer rating is 91.6. So his worst career performance is league average as a quarterback. And oh, by the way, last week, the, the game that people were a little bit more critical of, he had 111 passer rating in that game. Like if he averaged 111 for a season, that's Aaron Rodgers MVP level season. Like Brock Purdy, you can nitpick some of the stuff around it, but it's the best thing the 49ers have seen at the quarterback position since Kaepernick. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's fair. And even with Colin Kaepernick, it was mostly just, you know, the raw athlete that was Colin Kaepernick. The fact that, yeah, there was that beautiful throw. I remember against like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where he threw like 60 yards on the line. That's still the highlight of Colin Kaepernick's career that will be on repeat. And maybe Brock Purdy doesn't have that in his bag. And that's what people kind of question or always go back to. And they'll look at like this game in particular against the Giants and say, well, Again, you mentioned he's a game manager. He just dinks and dunks. He just gets it out to the playmakers and they do all the work because I think there was about like 200 plus yards after catch that people are pointing to. But I think that that makes sense given, and I was struggling to think of the name, great football name here, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator of the Giants, kept sending blitzes at him. What do you want him to do? Take seven step drops all night and keep just airing it out 50 yards? That would have been the absolute worst game plan that the Niners could have rolled out there. I even questioned them going drop back as much as they did in that game, mostly because knowing that the Giants have like the worst run defense in the league, but I wouldn't call it an indictment of Brock Purdy that he adjusted to what he was seeing from the opposing team and he used it against them because he used the Giants aggressiveness against them in the second half. That's why the Niners exploded because they kept sending those blitzes. And after a certain point, it's like, okay, well, if you're going to keep doing that, I'm going to just do this little screen that's going to go for 20 yards, 30 yards. Debo Samuel's going to do something on a quick route. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, every time he touched the ball, it seemed like he was going 10, 20 yards. So yeah, I think that there was an adjustment and I think that was for the better. I, I think it's just, you know, people are at the end of the day, you're just going to keep using Brock Purdy's draft status against him. And I think at this point, it's just fair to say Brock Purdy was misevaluated in that draft. He was clearly misevaluated. Like if we were to redraft that one, would he go past the first round the second time around? I don't think every team would be interested in picking Brock Purdy. So I don't know if a first round is a guarantee. It would just he has be to... the first or second quarterback off the board, given what we know now. Oh, well, yeah, because that quarterback class is like Kenny Pickett. Like, yeah, he it's it's Kenny Pickett and Sam Howell. Yeah. And Sam Howell's been not terrible, but like, of course, he's going to be the first quarterback taken knowing what we know now. But even the 49ers misevaluated him because, again, if you've heard John Lynch tell the story, they were going to wait until undrafted free agency to pick him up. And they were like, why are we even messing with this? So we've got the last pick in the draft. We'll just take him, whatever. He's a practice squad guy. I think the story is they told him it was either you or safety. Yeah, pretty much. And I do understand like people who are skeptical is fair because again, there's no precedent for a situation like this. And the reason there's no precedent is just because there's so much fucking talent on the 49ers. Like it's insane how much talent the 49ers have. Think about this, like 12 games ago for the 49ers, it was Kyle Shanahan's known for interchangeable running backs and he can make this work with anyone. And you look at the 49ers offense now and it's like they can't exist without Christian McCaffrey. Like everything they do is built around Christian McCaffrey and the workload that Christian McCaffrey has. The 49ers are different than they even were 
in early 2022 to now. And there's just so much talent across the board that it's so hard to evaluate exactly what it is. Like essentially at this point, and we're starting to build out a sample size, but through nine starts, Brock Purdy is essentially playing like offensive rookie of the year, Justin Herbert from what was that? The 2020 season. He's essentially playing like offensive rookie of the year, Justin Herbert in terms of his first few games. And we have no idea whether that's a misevaluation. Again, Justin Herbert was picked with the sixth pick in the NFL draft. So if he's putting up those level of numbers, then like we would suspect Purdy would probably be a first round pick in a redrafted 2022 draft. But again, the thing that's just throwing a loop in all of this is the ridiculous level of talent the 49ers have on their team that will make it so that any interchangeable quarterback will be able to win. And the reason we know this is because I've seen Kyle Shanahan win multiple playoff games, multiple playoff games in which a quarterback didn't throw a pass for two hours of real time. That happened two times. They've won playoff games that way. So Brock Purdy, we're going to learn more about him with time, but that's the thing that sucks, right? It's just going to take time. It's going to take a larger sample size, a larger pool of games to to evaluate him with. Well, you know, the thing is, obviously, we record these weekly and we have to talk about what we've seen to this point. And what I've seen to this point, at least I can't hate on anything that I've seen. You know, I'm a big JTL Sullivan junkie. I love his contact with the QB school. Lucky enough to have JT on the show. And that was a great episode. Hope we could get him back. But Some of the things that he points out about Brock Purdy, his base is solid. His anticipation is just ridiculous. And some of the ball placement, go back to the Steelers game in week one. There was that back shoulder throw to Brandon Ayuk. Well, what about like this past Thursday, the back shoulder throw to Debo Samuel? I have went 20 plus years of being a Niners fan and have not seen a lot of quarterbacks even be able to do that. And even quarterbacks I like, like a Jimmy, like a Colin Kaepernick in his prime. Like even back-end Alex Smith, I haven't seen a lot of quarterbacks be able to do just that. I I love that Brock, what he can do, he's elusive. He's more elusive than I I think he was advertised as. And when we're going through the whole Brock Purdy, Trey Lance discussions, one thing that always stood out to me is that Brock was a more willing guy to get up and go whenever like the pocket broke down. And his ability to roll to his left, roll to his right, I find that much more impressive. He evades a lot of sacks. And the fact that he was able to get out of a lot of sacks too, again, when he's getting pressured 85% of the time against the Giants is something that you can't hold as a knock against him because it should be something that's praised by outside bodies too. Like whenever you look at, because you're not seeing a lot of other young quarterbacks do that. Like we've talked about Justin Fields recently, right? When you watch Justin Fields, him holding onto the ball in the pocket is one of the most infuriating things, especially when there's open guys there and the anticipation on his throws just isn't there. The anticipation on Brock Purdy's throws, it's there. Like before the guy even breaks on his route, he's throwing the ball, which is something that a quarterback at his age, 23 years old, I believe, shouldn't be doing. And I think that that's something if you're a Niners fan, especially too, given the contract, the Niners don't have to pay him for another couple of years. So it's the best bargain in football. I, I saw on Thursday night football, Al Michaels was making more money than Brock Purdy was to be there at the game. That says a lot. Oh, no, no. You 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 almost got that. Uh, Al Michaels made more in that one broadcast than Brock Purdy will make for the entire season. That's what that was. Al Michaels on that one night made more money than Brock Purdy will the entire 2023 season. I, I may have misheard this one and I may be getting this wrong, but I think on the broadcast they even said Brock Purdy still has a roommate. He's still roomed with one of the offensive linemen. To this day, that's 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 more of a normal rookie thing. Like Brock Purdy can afford to not do that, but <laughs> I, I, I mean, Northern California, man, is it really that bad out there? 
It's not that bad. They don't uh, like when they say roommate, it means they live in the same house together. They're not staying in the same room together. But again, that's just something where it's like most late round rookies who are kind of like on the fringe of making the team do room with each other. That's the more normal thing. I think they've just kept the same living arrangement thus far. But yeah, no, the Brock Purdy thing is because again, he's number one in the NFL in QBR. He's the he's number one in the league through three weeks. The problem is it's through three weeks. But this is the same thing we said last year. The problem is it's only six weeks. It's only six games, right? So we're slowly starting to build out that sample size. And the thing I'm going to continue to say is he's not as good as Patrick Mahomes, but he's also better than Jimmy Garoppolo, which means he's somewhere between quarterback two and quarterback 22 in the NFL. Where he falls in that spectrum, we're going to find out as time goes along, I would assume. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.